All right, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're continuing our book study in 1 John. If you need a Bible, raise up your hand, and uh, Terry Haley back there will get one into your hand. Just raise it up, and someone will stick a Bible in your hand. We're going to look at this whole chapter. It's not a very long chapter, but it's important to note, uh, you know, John, through this, it's kind of a Laconian type of writing that John is, is using here throughout the whole letter, and he, he, he doesn't say things once. He re- reiterates this message of love and puts it in different contexts. And so, again, he's pounding on the same theme of abiding in Christ. When we're abiding in Christ, the fruits of God's character come through in our life, which is descriptive as love. And he's calling us now to be people of discernment, to really know what is right and what's wrong. And there are things to me when it comes to issues and uh, circumstances that seems kind of gray, you know, seems kind of blurry. But the more and more we know Jesus and can see the clarity of the nature of Jesus and the truth that is Jesus Christ, Jesus being the embodiment of truth and grace, things become less blurry. Things in this world and even our own hearts become uh, less gray and we're able to discern what is of God and what is not of God, even our own emotions. And so when we talk about discernment, we're talking about a biblical objectivity in life, just having an objectivity from God's perspective in dealing with people, circumstances, even our own selves. So let's look at this chapter. I'm going to read it through, and then we're going to unpack it, okay? Uh, Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. And we are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, And if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior into the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because he is, as he is, so are we in this world. And there is no fear in love. But perfected love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if anyone says, someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Some of the same themes. That's why I went through the whole chapter, because there's an important context on this message of how to be discerning in life, how to have a biblical, spiritual object, objectivity, which is so important for our spiritual health as we grow into maturity in our faith, as we read God's word here. Now, I'm usually pretty good on discernment when it comes to salesmen or saleswomen. When I get the call, I can pretty much figure out in the first three seconds what's going on here, and I can deal with it quickly. Or if I get an email, I see something that's, I've been spammed and, and they want me to buy something or want me to click on a little button, I can tell pretty quickly and I immediately turn that over to my trash and I dump it. But the new iPad came out Friday. Last week I got this text on my iPhone and it looks so legit. And they were asking me if I wanted to test market the new iPad. And it was, I looked at it, it looked like it came from Steve Jobs himself, you know, but, well, he's not around anymore, but it looked so legit. And so I clicked on the little button, and all of a sudden, a flood of text came in, just started flying into my iPhone, like, oh, mommy, help, you know, just, I couldn't stop them coming, everything from horoscope readings to mail enhancement to, uh, to, you know, get, get out of debt, I mean, and then I'm, I'm trying to turn off my phone, and I got spammed, you know, my discernment didn't work, right, and then I had to go over the bill with Angie yesterday, on all these different things, everything was like nine ninety nine. All these apps, and so I had to call the call AT and T and deal with all this. See, when we're not discerning, we ultimately get spammed in life. We get taken for a ride, and we we say that word discernment, and it sounds kind of hardcore. It might conjure up in you a, a certain personality or a certain intense, intenseness in a person. But really, as we see in the context of chapter 4, being a discerning person is just being a godly person, is understanding the nature of Christ, and that's our goal anyway. See, a lot of people think, well, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I go to church, but I just want to get along with everything. Let's just love any, everybody, and let's just have unity. But unity, for unity's sake, is not unity. When there's real unity in the body of Christ, we are gathered and united around what is right, of, of, of what is true. If we, if we didn't have unity on, on the streets, you know, there's a line that goes down the middle of the freeway. And what if I just said, you know, everyone just go where you want to go, whatever feels right. Well, there'd be a lot of accidents out there, wouldn't it? But because there's unity according to the laws of driving, 
we can get along on the roads somewhat, right? So unity, true unity, is gathered around of what is right and what is true. And Jeff mentioned it earlier, it's the word of God. And that's what John wants us to have discernment in. Discernment, just in the basic dictionary, has a simple definition. And actually, the word discernment, if you look it up in Webster's, the first definition, it's almost a, it's a word that was brought into, the, into language through the Christian church. And it's referring exactly to what it means. It's, so it's a spiritual definition. Um, we can use it in many different applications, but it's interesting to see that in the regular English dictionary. It means the ability to judge well or to judge rightly. Just the ability to judge. Not judging in the sense of determining people's hearts. Jesus said, no one can be the judge. And, and uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that, you know, I don't even judge myself. You know, I don't take myself too seriously. So there's not one of us. There's only one judge, and that's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He's the only one qualified to judge my heart. So we're unqualified to judge each other's hearts. But, does, but God does call us to be fruit inspectors. We can make judgment calls on attitudes, actions, uh, you know, attitudes based on the word of God. And we can make a discerning call on that's of God, that is not of God. Or that's just that person speaking or that's God speaking. But he even brings it even to a more uh, pointed head here in this passage. Because it's not just, uh, you know, working, it's not gray. Notice he says it's either of Jesus or if it's of Satan. He talks about spirits. And when we talk about spirits, we talk about, we can, we can put those in buckets of worldviews, attitudes, perspectives, actions, thoughts, words. These, this is what it means by spirits. When we, when we connect with each other, we bring, in a sense, a spirit to one another. We bring an attitude. We engage with really what's inside of us. And it says in the book of Proverbs, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the people who we really are comes out of us, comes out of our mouths and comes out of the tone and the ways that we say things. So not judging in the sense of determining people's hearts, people's motives, and especially people's eternity but being able to sift through all the things of this life. And so when you talk about discernment, it's, it means simply an awareness of what is really going on in a situation. What's really happening here with people? What's really happening with them? What's really happening in the world as we look at the signs of the times? What's really happening in our community? What's really happening? That is discernment. And we have the discernment in order to bring the gospel in. That's the point of discernment. That's what John is saying. Notice he talks about being discerning between spirits. And then he says, but here's the, the point is we're to love one another. We're to bring love. Use that discernment to bring love in to other people. To bring, love, bring the gospel into relationships. Bring the gospel into environments. Bring the gospel into communities. That's the point. That's why we have discernment. Being discerning is misappropriated many times because it can bring a pride. 
well, I have this corner on the truth, and we can, we can beat each other down, but that's not what John is saying. We, we have discernment for a purpose, for a reason. So I want to break this apart in three sections, uh, this discernment. And um, true discernment is simple awareness, verses 1 through 6. True discernment is guided by love, verses 7 through 12. And true discernment leads us into peace. 13 through 21. First of all, true discernment is simple awareness. Look at verse 1. It says it clearly. Do not believe every spirit. <laughs> Don't believe everything. <laughs> everything that someone says, even if they call themselves reverend or pastor or it comes from a ministry. You know, the Bereans were commended by Paul because the Bereans were a group of people and uh, not far out, just outside of Thessalonica. And the Bereans were known for being discerning. And he commends them because what the Bereans did is when Paul shared the gospel, they went back to the scriptures and they made sure that everything Paul was saying was consistent with the scriptures. They were being discerning. And Paul commended them. And I think that that's important, that things that I say up here, you're to be seeking the scriptures yourself. And if you come up, and, and this happens all the time, I get emails or phone calls, or you come up and say, what is, the, you said this, is that really it? And there's been times I've misspoke, there's been times where I, I maybe didn't get the full, hey, I'm just a man, I, I pray for God's discernment and his, the fullness of truth every time I speak. But it's important for you, I'm not your guru, right? It's important, you, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ just as I am, and we are to be taught of him, not of a man, not of a group, not of a ministry. Every church and every ministry is a legitimate ministry in the kingdom of God when everyone involved is being taught of Christ. They're in the school of Christ. And so everything we study, we're to sift through it. We're to work through it. And we're not to believe everything that's said. And we're given God's word. The gospel is very simple, yet incredibly profound. And when we know the simplicity of the gospel, that's what helps us have a simple awareness with these messages. We are not to believe everything just for acceptance. We want to be accepted in a group. And it's okay to have a difference of opinion. That's what I love about this body. I've tried super hard over these years of understanding that not every one of us are going to line, on a, line up on every point of eschatology, every point of soteriology, of uh, you know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There's different views. The main thing, but a community that's centered around the gospel and is gospel-centric comes together in unity around the majors of what really matters, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. And what John says here is that is from God. And what we want to share in as a community is what is of God. Notice that John didn't go through all the different points and take you through systematic theology from a cer certain point of view. Once you believe all this, then, you know, we can have unity. And we can have collegiality scripturally. What I mean by collegiality is we can share a difference of opinion but still settle on the majors. We major on the mainers, major on the mainers, mainards. Maynard, I like that name. Uh, we major on the majors and we minor 
on the minors. Because discernment can t go too far. But what Paul is talking about, what uh, John is talking about, is having a simple awareness of what is from God. Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world, he's the begotten of the Father. He is God. Jesus is God, and he is man. And he came to this earth, and he died for our sins, and God, he's God manifested in the flesh. And that's the real that's the real issue. And so we're to test. Notice he, he says, give every spirit a test. Everything that someone says, everything that an environment that you're in, we're to give the test. And that is not a wrong thing to do. That doesn't mean you're judgmental. It means you're discerning. And we need to make that distinction between being judgmental and being discerning because John is telling us to be discerning. And to have live life understanding there's some things that are from God and there's some things that are from the enemy, really. He, he brings it down to that. When I talked about the, the point of this is, is much more than just to sift through the gray. We're going to be able to, as we mature, to say, that's from Jesus and that's from the devil. <laughs> that's not from Jesus because that's the language he uses. If it's not of Christ, if it's not of the nature of Christ... It is antichrist. And it's almost like John is saying there's really no middle ground. That it's either from God or it's not from God. And that's kind of hard for us because we have a relativistic society that we live in. Especially in this postmodern generation that we live in. And so we want to have a little bit of relativism. It almost seems ungodly to have a, a little bit of relativism. But what John is saying, not in a judgmental way, in a very loving, gracious, merciful way to go through life and be able to discern that's God and that's not. That's truth and that's not truth. And he's calling us to that, to being, that's a part of maturing. You know, Ignatius, I don't know if you know much about Ignatius, but it's fascinating um, how he the ministry that is still, you know, observed today by mostly the Catholic Church, but there's a lot of Protestant versions of Ignatius' way, that's what he calls it, the way, of really bringing discernment to yourself. Because when we talk about discernment, we, we tend to think, well, we need to be discerning about them or her or him or that place. Or, but what John is saying is we need to have self-discernment. We need to have objectivity within ourselves, and that's where it starts. Here's what Ignatius said. The, the discernment of spirits is part of everyone's spiritual journey. No one who is trying to make spiritual progress should attempt to do so alone. And so what Ignatius talks about is learning to be self-discerning and having someone in your life where there's accountability and you can learn to be objective about life and about your, your emotions. And we're constantly moving towards being less self-centered, less emotion-driven, and more Christ-driven, more grace-driven. See, we need true koinonia, and we talked about that in our first study in this book, to help us examine our motives, our desires, our consolations, and our desolations in our life in a very objective way. He says we are often swayed by emotions and circumstances, and we need help. We need help to grow. And God's word is the anchor. It's the plumb line of, for that growth. It's the tool. It's the instrument. 
And we need, and so he talks about discerning whether something's of a good spirit, okay? The right spirit, we could say. The spirit of God, the influence of God, the influence of, of, of the right things, or what is not of God. A bad spirit, a bad, a wrong spirit, which is by the influence of Satan, the influence of the world and of the flesh. It's a, how it works out. See, what is of God works out in a, it, it works out in a very calm, rational way. And that's how we're to be discerning within ourselves. The, the God spirit brings us to a peaceful, joyful way, decisions. It's full of peace. It's full of grace. It's full of love. It's full of joy. And to be able to have self-discernment and take what someone has told us or something we're wrestling with and to be able to, with God's word, be self-discerning. Is it full of love? Is it full of joy? Is it full of grace? And if it's not, what John is saying, it's not of Jesus. It's not characterized by the nature of Christ, and you need to call it what it is. It's from the devil. Or it's just my flesh. See, the bad spirit often brings us to make quick, emotional, conflicted decisions. That is, not, uh, that is unsettling. And I, I, I'm so grateful for this passage of Scripture because what John is saying is I'm not left here to wallow in my own emotions and perspectives and just trying to stumble through life without looking like an idiot. I, I, I am given a clear path to have self-discernment within myself, to take that emotion and say, that's not from God. Now, this takes time. This isn't instantaneous. This is, what, this is a lifelong process of growing in, in discernment, right? And so there's an internal application. It'd be like, you know, you, know, you go to a car salesman and, you know, you talk to him about the car and, you know, you know you're getting played, Right? And he's playing you, and he's going to get as much out of you. And it's almost like it's a spirit, right? It's an attitude, and you can feel it. You can sense it. And I, I got my daughter a car, and this guy was hardcore, and he was doing his car salesman thing. And I just said, dude, come over here. She's 16 years old. She has, you know, 1200 bucks in her pocket. I know that you can sell her that car. He's like, no, and he went through it. And I said, come on, come on, dude. Finally, he broke. His spirit changed. He goes, oh, man, okay, come over here. And he writes up the thing. See, you can, there's a spirit behind that. There's, a, there's an attitude. There's a perspective that you can sense. And you need to know what's of God. Now, I don't know if either one of those was from God, but I'm just trying to make a point. I think sometimes, um, you know, <laughs> You know, we want romance in our life, right? And, and sometimes, you know, a, a woman, you, can, you know, you go to this movie and maybe you've been married for a, a lot of years and you go and there's this, it's like a fairy tale, right? And you, you get wrapped up in the movie and it just seems like everything's perfect. It's like the perfect story and you're just, you know, the movie ends and you look over at your honey and going, wow, is that what it means to be in love, right? And there's emotions, right? The, the reason that there's a, that there's a, a that why people buy those tickets is because it, it brings emotions up. But we have to be discerning what is of God and what is not of God, right? That's why we have marketing. 
Marketing is all based on emotion. It's a bunch of guys that get together. I used to work for a marketing company. They get together. Probably shouldn't have told you that. Um, but uh, get into a room and you find out ways to convince people that they need something, that to buy something they don't really need. And how to push the buttons of emotions to really um, make them feel like they need something. See, what John wants to bring us to is to have this discernment. We're able to test, that we're able to approve. That's what the word discern, uh, to test means. In, in the Greek, it means to approve, to analyze, to simply be aware. And that's why in verse 2 it says, by this you know the Spirit of God. See, here's how we know, because the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never points to himself. So when someone points to themselves, or points to what they're doing, or points to their thing, whatever their thing is, and tries to get you to buy into their thing, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is always pointing to Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And always pointing to him. The way I got saved is I was running from God or rebelling against God, and God's Spirit came to me and opened up my heart and says, you're lost, that's your Savior. You're drowning, there's your lifeline. He didn't point to himself. The Spirit always points to Jesus. And so when attitudes, words, um, actions are pointing to Christ, they're, they're from God. When they're pointing to the nature of Christ. So that's our job of maturing is when we become more like Jesus and we're adopting the nature of Jesus Christ, that's the right spirit. That's the, that's the correct spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me. Almost the same uh, type of verbiage that John is using. It's either of Jesus or it's of the Antichrist. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. So not to be not for Jesus is to be against him. You can't be in the middle. Well, Jesus is just all right for me, right? Doobie brothers. And just kind of be in the middle. That's cool. And this is cool too. And I'm just, I want to be a part of everything, right? Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. He says that in Matthew, in, a, in another version, this is war. <laughs> Eugene Peterson's version. This is war. There is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. According to Eugene Peterson. If you are not for Jesus, you're against Jesus. Not everything you hear is from God. And in verse 4 he says, this has to be worked out in a very much of a simple, childlike way. He says, we, in verse 4 it says, little children. He refers to us as children because that's how we, it's the paradox of, of maturity. The more mature we are, the more like children we are. Children of God. The more trusting we are of God. The more dependent we are of God. See, spiritual maturity, maturity is not being, hey, I've got it all together. That's, that's just, it can just be, it's just cloaked arrogance. True spiritual maturity was we're like children. That we just love God in simplicity. 
That's what Jesus taught, didn't he? He says, whoever welcomes a little child like this is in my name, welcomes me. And in both Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, Mark 10, Luke 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And God's just trying to get us to be his children, where we trust him like a father, where we rely on him like a father. And so when you come to discernment, that's what it leads us to, not the finger wagging, not that you're the authority of everything and everybody, but you're just more like Jesus, more of the nature of Christ. When people look at us, they see Jesus in us. That's what John is saying. He says here, no one's seen God. And then he says here, that's why we're to love one another, because when we love one another, that's the best reflection of what God is like. So he's getting us discerning about what is really the path of the Christian, okay? So that's number one. Number two, true discernment is guided by love, and I kind of got into it. This letter is all about the core ingredient of what it means to really know God. And I know many people who think they're discerning, but they are definitely aren't very loving, and there's a problem there. We talk about, you know, fundamentalism. You know, people say, I heard someone say, you know, what's wrong in the world today, you know, after the terrorist attacks, what's wrong in the world today is fundamentalism, right? Well, really, that's not the problem. It depends what your fundamentals are. Have you ever seen an Amish terrorist? So what are your fundamentals? And John is saying, here's the core ingredient, the real message. This is the message that we have brought to you. That's what he says throughout this letter, that we are, that just as God has loved us, we are to love one another. That's the core message. And it says here in verse 9 that uh, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us. The whole reason that Jesus came was for you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much you're valued by God. You are the object of his love. This is the key right here. When you know that you are the object of God's love, that's what gives you objectivity. It's the same word. The security and the assurance that fills your psyche, your life, your heart, in knowing that God loved you so much that he gave his only son for you. And in Christ, you are completed. You are righteous in him. And the power of that in your life brings us to godly biblical objectivity, which is true discernment. When we know that we're the object of God's love. So, so if I'm the object of God's love, then you're the object of God's love. And if God is loving you the same way that I am realizing he's loving me, then I am just to be like Christ. And the nature of Christ is just to join God in loving you just like God loves you. And discernment is figuring that out. That either is happening or it's not happening. That is either present in our lives or in a community, or it's not present. And that's what true discernment is, okay? The object of Christianity, the objective of Christianity is love. And 
we're the object, right? We're the object. So that's the objective. That's why we have faith. No one has seen God, but he sees us. The world sees us through the love we have for one another. And lastly, true discernment leads us into peace. He says here again in verse uh, 13, he says, um, by this we know that we abide in him. And he says that over and over in this letter, by this we know. And again, John is saying, we can really know. We can really know the path. We don't have to wonder. We can actually know. And he says, there is no love and fear. And to live in fear is not really to know love. They, fear and faith are incompatible. And so is fear and love. If we're living in fear, fear of the future, a lot of people have all kinds of phobias, right? Fear of the future, fear of failure, fear of abandonment. And these fears mold our character. They mold our perspectives. They, they, they influence, fears influence our decisions. If I'm if I have a fear of poverty or a fear of being broke, it's going to challenge my decisions. And I might even compromise of what's godly in order to get a few more bucks. If I have the fear of abandonment, then I will not relate to others in a loving way because I need them to convince me that they're not going to leave me or abandon me. And so it's a perverted relationship. So when we have fears, and you know what? We all have fears. So it's, it's not a judgmental thing. This is, I'm just talking about the trajectory, right? The growth of our Christian life. We're to take our fears and not say, don't fear, don't fear. I'm not supposed to fear. It's like saying, you know, don't think about the word elephant. Don't think about the word elephant. Don't think about the word elephant. And then I say, what word are you not supposed to think about? Don't think about the... See, you already did it. You already failed the test, right? It's not enough to just try and get rid of your fears. You got to get to the core of what you're afraid of. Why am I afraid of being abandoned? Because I don't really know the full acceptance of God yet. I'm not really comfortable in the gospel and the full implications of the gospel that protect and support my own heart. I'm basing my life, my present, my future, on maybe something that happened in the past. Someone who left me, my dad left the family or whatever, but God's not like that. And you have to get to the core, that's discernment. This person is not like God. God will never leave me. It says, it says in Hebrews, he will never leave me or forsake me. God will never abandon you. And when that gets into us, the fear goes away. And the whole point is that the love of God casts out all of our fears. What are we afraid of? You take that and you follow what that is. Fear is basically a mistrust in God. And, and John here is saying part of discernment is knowing what is reality, what is real. And nothing becomes more real than we see life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is reality. Well, I don't feel loved. No one loves me. No one likes me. Wait a second. That's not true. That's not reality. God loves you. Actually, he loves you more than any person. He loves you so much he gave his son for you. And so the gospel 
gets us into reality, gets us out of our emotional state and our emotional dysfunction and gets us into a place of, of reality through the gospel. And that's what all of our hearts are craving. That is discernment. That gives us insight of what it means to have self-discernment and internal discernment that leads to outward discernment. It's all through the gospel, right? Our fears surround those things that we're looking to as our security blankets. And so if we look to the things that we're scared of or afraid of, our fears really are idols. <laughs> the things that we have to have. We look at our life and say, boy, I could, that could be out of my life, but that would be fine because I have this. You know, my wife could leave me and that's fine because I have a good job and I make a good paycheck. Or the opposite. I could do without that job and I'd be fine, but I have my wife. At least I have that. And so our fears are stemmed out of that thing that is so important to us being taken out of our life and it, it, we've made an idol is not something bad an idol is something good very good but we've made it the best we've made it the ultimate and so we can take anything that's good and make it the ultimate other than Jesus Christ and our fears are you can fought if you want to know what your idols are follow your fears what is it that you could not do without <laughs> what is it that brings terror if that was gone if he was gone if she was gone if this was gone it brings terror into your heart and what God wants to uh, he wants to set us free to where we are so confident and comfortable and at peace in just having Jesus because we know he's never going to leave us we know he's always going to provide for us we know that he always has our best interests at heart he didn't come and die on the cross for me and he's going to leave me here to figure it out that's deism he is sovereign and in control over my entire life and to live life out of that now that's strength that is freedom and that is what the gospel has come to bring to your life and so we get we, we, we get to take analysis of that by looking at our fears. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus loves you. He's just helping us grow in him. There's no condemnation. He's just saying, Pete, I love you. Just give me that fear. Let me work in that. Let me show you. And I will, that, that journey is going to be going on in my life until I go to be with him, right? Until I go to be with the Lord. I think of Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he then not, how, he, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I love that. If God gave his own son for you 2,000 years ago, how shall he not today freely give you all things? God's a loving, our father's a loving father. What if I took Seth into the, the bicycle store and I said, look at that bike. He's like, oh, that's cool. It's 10 speeds over here. And, you know, and I spent an hour checking out the bikes, talking with the salesman, and he's all pumped up. And I said, son, I brought you here to let you know one thing. You can have none of them. I'd be, what, you know. Certainly I wouldn't do that. 
God brings you into the storehouse of his riches. And he says, look at all this. He doesn't say, and you can have none of them. He said, they're all yours in Christ. All the riches of his glories, uh, of his glory are you. And we have to keep that in mind. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel. We have to remind ourselves if we are going to live fearlessly in this world. What makes us a Christian? Was it our good works? Was it going to church? And, you know, if, we, if we're relating to Christ based upon our own efforts and things, eventually we are going to hit the wall because we're going to run out of our own resources and we're going to run out of our own personal resources to make it happen. But if we look at our salvation as being a miracle of God, that it was a one in a trillion more than that chance, and God chose me, God picked me to be his child, and it's all his grace, it's by nothing he's done. When you get that, that is what takes away the fear of our life. You're, you're so consumed with the grace of God. And then you can look at your life. <laughs> Do I live my life by my performance or by the love and calling of Jesus Christ? What if God did call me to fail? So what? So what? I still have his love. I still have heaven. I still have his kindness. And he'll use it for good to prepare me for something else. My worthiness is not based upon my success. And the reason I am scared is because I have held on to this thing that I thought validated my life. That's the reason I'm scared. The answer to this whole message, how to be discerning, know the gospel. Know the nature of Jesus Christ. Know who he is. And let that manifest in you, in your own heart and life, and manifest from you. And when you see that, you go, right on. That's it. Amen. I thought I knew a lot about the Bible, but there's, the, there's what the Bible's all about. Manifest in that person or in that group. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. That's all put together through the word of God. So let's continue to seek the scriptures together. Amen. Father, we thank you that you've given us all things. Like Peter said, all things that pertain to life and godliness are in your word. We don't have to go outside of your word. We don't have to listen to new messages are the latest thing, but we can mine the gold, the precious jewels from the scriptures. And we know that the scriptures always point us to Jesus, always point us to your nature, always, Lord, set our minds in the right place. So Lord, I pray that as we are a discerning people, that we'd start with ourselves that we take inventory of what is of you and what's not of you. And that you give us the grace and the strength to step into our new identity in Christ. That which you have brought to us through, through the shedding of blood and, and your resurrection. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.